When will the world end? Some scientists say that we're going to run out of food for everyone by 2050. Others say climate change will cause millions of deaths within a generation and we need to beat the clock and save the planet. There's hundreds of movies about natural disasters ending the world as we know it. Others think we need to be ready to flee to Mars or leave planet Earth in order to be saved when the end, before the end comes. Maybe a slightly different question for us, though, is when will Jesus return? When will Jesus come back to bring justice and bring us to the new creation? And how will we know when he's about to arrive? More importantly, though, how can we be ready? How do we live now, knowing that that's coming, so that we don't miss out on the salvation that he brings? In Matthew 21 to 23, Jesus had been teaching in the temple. He leaves for the last time, and his disciples, we're told, draw attention to the impressive buildings, these massive stones of marble, many things covered with gold. And Jesus answers, truly I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. It'll all be demolished. And a little later, probably looking at the temple from the Mount of Olives, just across the valley, Jesus' followers ask him, when will these things happen? What's the sign of your coming in the end of the age, the the end of history? Those events, the destruction of the temple, the return of Jesus, they're closely connected in their minds. They, They may have thought that that actually happened at the same time. It's complicated because reading Jesus' response, as we've done in this chapter or part of it, reading it now, 2,000 years later, we know that the judgment that Jesus spoke of refers to the destruction of Jerusalem. It will happen in 70 AD and yet also to what's to happen between his first coming and second coming and what will happen at the end when he comes again. So it can be difficult to interpret. It's like the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Jerusalem and the temple. They're, they're a foretaste, a, a foreshadow, a taste of what's to come. It's like they're an appetizer before the main course. I pictured in terms of thinking about destruction, it's like a model tank compared with a, a real, the real thing. Jesus here in what we've read, he can be talking about one or the other or both and there's more than one fulfillment here and And as we'll see, there's no one simple thing that'll be the sign that the end is near, that judgment day is near. Still, even when we're not certain about all the details, the the bigger picture is clear. In the words of one writer, history is not a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. It is, in a real sense, Jesus' story. He made this world, he came to dwell in it, he will return at the end of history and wind it all up. This is the Christian hope. History is moving steadily towards that grand day. We shall not go out like a light. We shall not all be blown sky high in a nuclear holocaust. We shall not actually destroy the earth by our environmental vandalism. This world will not, however, go on forever. Jesus will come again, not this time to suffer, but to reign. And he continues, 
and his coming, Christ's coming, will finally settle the future destiny of all people. That is the central point of this chapter. At the end, we shall see Christ as he is. It's not a question here about rewards and punishments. Matthew and Matthew does nothing to encourage detailed millennial expectations or speculation about the future. He steadily fixes our eyes on the king who is one day coming back to be crowned and that is something to look forward to. With that introduction to the question of when will Jesus return in judgment, our first point is what first? What's to happen first? Look at verse 4. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. No one leads you astray because many are going to come in my name claiming to be the Messiah, saying I'm the Christ and, and they will deceive many. And this was actually true in Jerusalem. Many claiming to be the rescuing king in the lead up to the destruction by the Romans a matter of decades later. We're going to say more about that shortly. And then Jesus says, you'll hear of wars and rumours of wars. I mean, and since the first century, hasn't there been so many wars? And the rise and fall of kingdoms and empires, nation invading nation. Since then, there's been world wars, a cold war. War in Vietnam, war in Ukraine. Some say we're on the brink of World War Three. Don't be alarmed, says Jesus. And don't assume it's the end. Wars along with natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, more. Verse 8, these are the beginning of labor pains. And between 30 and 70 AD, there were wars and natural disasters too, as there has been in every generation since, every century since. Not every bad thing that happens is a sign of the end of the world. Also, what will happen first, long before Christ comes, is persecutions, pressures on Christ's people. Verse 9 begins with then, but the original Greek can also mean, or read at that time, many people will suffer, be killed for being Christian. That's happened in the first century. It's happening now in the 21st century. Jesus says, doesn't he, many will fall away, betray one another, hate one another. In the parallel accounts in Mark chapter 13 and Luke 21, Jesus speaks of Christians being betrayed by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. There are brothers and sisters of ours at this church at Bundy who've had to flee for their lives from their country. Iran, Pakistan. Their family have hated them, betrayed them. Authorities are after them. What Jesus speaks of here really happens. Sadly, that persecution and hatred for following Christ will also lead many to fall away, verse 10. Now, the Bible teaches the elect will be saved, as we'll see later. Jesus teaches in John chapter 10 that he gives his people eternal life. No one can snatch us from his hand. No one can snatch us from the Father's hand. Those who have trusted truly in Christ and show it by keeping on trusting him will be saved. Be confident. Believe that, brothers and sisters. But some who confessed Christ 
or prayed a prayer. Some who are nominal Christians, alleged Christians, and aren't converted and don't have the spirit, they can and they will fall away. So Jesus is warning us all to have you trusted in Christ to be saved. Is he Lord of your life? Will you stick with him whatever comes? Jesus says in verse 12, before he comes, lawlessness will increase, love decrease. Love will grow cold. I know this has happened before in history as we think about love growing cold and lawlessness. I mean, we can think of horrible things like the Holocaust and genocides, people in Rwanda and Cambodia and Russia and more. And I see love growing cold in our country in our day too, though. I mean, with abuse of people in their homes, people today disrespecting police, parents, teachers, gangs of violent youth running on crime sprees through the streets. We see it when these days when someone is beaten on the train or on the street and no one steps in to help. We see love growing cold when elderly people are left in nursing homes with no visits from their family. And with so many people, whatever their age, experiencing loneliness. The love and care of people for each other is not what it was even 40 years ago. Let's not let our love grow cold. Let's not let our love in this church for one another grow cold. Let's not stop loving one another. And don't let this broken world make you think that Christ isn't coming. All of these forms of suffering that are mentioned are not mentioned to help us predict the date of Jesus' return. We're told this to give us realistic expectations for life in this world and to help us stay strong in faith. Look at verse 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So the people who persevere in faith, persevere in trust in Christ to the end, will be saved. How are you going at that? Enduring, persevering, not giving up, trusting the Lord in your trials, your suffering, even when others fail to love you. Despite the suffering, you you hang in there relying on God's strength, knowing salvation waits at the end. As one Christian songwriter put it, as I heard this week, about the end coming. Let me be found pursuing this prize that alone satisfies the treasure of Jesus. I hope and pray that like the Apostle Paul, we will be like him who in 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Is that us? I hope so. It's a reminder, too, that salvation isn't just about me. We should want the salvation of others, too. 
and many more will join us in salvation, in glory. Look at verse 14. The good news of the kingdom, remember that's the news that Jesus is the king who died to bring you and me, sinners, to relationship with God. That good news is going to be proclaimed in all the world and then the end will come. So we must conclude that that's one reason that Christ hasn't come back yet. Because the gospel hasn't gone sufficiently into all the world and been testified to in all nations. The gospel going to all peoples must happen first, he says, before Christ comes again. And so if we are longing for Jesus, the Lord Jesus to come, if we're praying, come Lord Jesus, come, what are you doing to speed his coming? Are you praying and seeking that the gospel would go to the nations? Are you giving to that end? Or should you be going so that the gospel can go to all nations? We have good news to share with people in our nation. We can share that in a one-to-one conversation. People, our friends or family can hear it if they... Lord willing, come to carols here. We want the gospel to go to our nation too. May that speed the day of Christ's return. That's what Jesus says must happen first before he comes. All these things in verses 5 to 14 are what life will include before he comes. But from verse 15 to 22, there's distress before the end, point two. And what's said here applies firstly to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, it's time to flee, Jesus says. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and chapter 12, verse 11, they spoke of this abomination of desolation, some foul and abominable thing that will make the temple desolate. And it refers to something like the desecration of the, when Daniel said it, it referred to the desecration of the temple that happened by the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC. He built an altar to the Greek god Zeus in the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and turned the rooms of the temple into brothels. It was offensive, defiling, And it did pollute the holy place. But in in this case, it seems a four-year siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies where they starved the Jews into submission. I mean, parents were even reduced to cannibalism. Over one million Jews died in this attack by Rome. It ended with the destruction of Jerusalem, AD 70, and it ended with the temple being smashed or entered by ungodly people. Smashed, burnt, torn down. And Jesus is saying this attack by the Romans is a clear sign to run for your life. Verse 17, there'll be no time to grab your things, no time to go back for anything. And wouldn't fleeing as a refugee with nothing, wouldn't that be a horrible thing? It's not something I've experienced seen images in the media of refugees fleeing Syria or Iran or Ukraine and 
struggle to imagine what it's like to run from your home and country, nothing but the clothes on your back. How horrible and how distressing. And Jesus' point is the desolation of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, it's a foretaste of the great distress, the great tribulation that will happen just prior to Christ's coming. Now, that word in great tribulation, it's mentioned in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 too. It's like the 70 AD judgment of the Jews is a taste of what's to come for the world when Christ comes the second time. And that distress, verse 21, will be greater than has ever happened before. And it seems to connect with events that are described in passages like Revelation 8 and 9. Revelation 9 verse 18 to 20 talk of a third of the human race being killed and still people not repenting and turning to God. People need to turn to God before it's too late. And Jesus says, unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because of the elect. Saved here may refer to salvation from a terrible and horrible physical death, not saved in terms of eternal life. In other words, because God in his mercy wants to spare his people from all being killed, he's going to limit the distress and shorten the time of that. So God will ensure that the elect are saved eternally too. Again, the point is God will preserve his people even through distressing suffering. I know suffering has brought believers closer to God, to a greater reliance on him. I know that's many of you here. I also know that suffering has led others to turn away from God, thinking how could a good God allow that to happen? If God, was re- if God was real, he wouldn't allow that to happen. But God will not let his people who've trusted in Jesus for salvation be tested more than we can bear. 1 Corinthians 10 promises that. God cares for his people. God loves his children. And so suffering is not a sign that we're not loved because God plans to end it. And all who've responded to the gospel in faith all who've trusted in Jesus will keep on trusting in him to the end by the help of God's Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, if you've trusted in Jesus to forgive your sin and save you from death and judgment, then have confidence. Philippians 1 verse 6 says that God will finish what he has started in you. Even in times of great distress, even if our world gets worse, trust that God has got you. You will not fall away. Those who have been chosen by God, saved by faith, will persevere to the end of their lives, trusting him, or until Christ comes. My point is God is merciful. God is faithful. He will do it. He's strong even when we're weak. Point three is the return of the king. Before King Jesus returns, there will be people who claim to be him and try to deceive Christians. 
Jesus says in verse 24, if someone has to tell you about it, then it's not real. He's not returned. Now, sadly, there has been far too many false Christs throughout history. In 1978, there was the murder-suicide of 900 people in Jonestown, South America, orchestrated by Jim Jones, who believed he was Christ reincarnated. Didn't want to put a picture up of that. But Australian Alan John Miller believes he is Jesus Christ and that his partner is Mary Magdalene. And I don't know how many people are being led astray by him in his compound in Queensland or by his teachings that are online. You don't need to go searching for them. My point is don't be deceived, brothers and sisters, because people are claiming this. Even if a false messiah or a false prophet is able to perform miracles, don't be tricked. The devil masquerades as an angel of light. Revelation 13, 14 speaks of the dragon deceiving people with miraculous signs and the false prophet doing that too in Revelation 19, 20. Both are works of Satan. But when Christ comes again, you will not need miracles to convince you it's him. And Jesus says you won't need to go looking for him. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Just like lightning last night lights up the sky. Point is, the coming of Jesus will be seen by all. It will be obvious to all. It will be so striking there will be no doubt for anyone. And what we'll also make clear to everyone, the end is here, is the sun and moon going dark. Verse 29, the stars falling from the sky. See, this is a darkness that's happening just prior to or at the, the return of Christ the King. This language comes from various multiple Old Testament scriptures. Isaiah 13, Isaiah 34. Joel, Joel chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 12, Ezekiel 32. I've jumped ahead. Even in Revelation 6 verse 12, it's again, we're told this, this darkness is going to come. It's going to happen. And after that extreme worldwide supernatural darkness, we're told then the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the peoples of the earth will mourn but they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, power and great glory. Coming on the clouds, that was a reference to Daniel chapter 7, the return of the Son of Man. And all who've rejected God and his Son Jesus, the only Saviour that there is, they will mourn. For on that day, they will know there is a God, there is a judge, and there will be no escape. And while verse 28 isn't easy to understand, the point seems to be, just as a carcass results in carrion birds coming, the spiritual darkness and wickedness of people will certainly result in their judgment. And when the King Jesus, the Son of Man, comes, he brings that judgment with him. Verse 31 says a loud trumpet will sound and 
Christ's angels, angels will gather the elect from all the earth. There's elect too who've already died and gone to be with the Lord. And, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that those believers, the elect who've died, are going to meet those who are still alive, meet in the air, meet the Lord in the air and one another, and that they too will be taken to be with God, with Christ, and enjoy the new heaven and earth. And so that is our great hope, brothers and sisters. That's something to look forward to, real hope, real joy. So please don't stress about, am I one of the elect? Am I one of God's chosen people? What we need to do is trust in Christ. For if you trust in Jesus and follow him, you persevere in trusting him to the end, then you are elect and you will be saved. The return of Jesus will be terrifying for most people, encouraging for God's people, encouraging for us, for it will be our deliverance, it will be the end of our distress, the end of our suffering. So I ask, do you look forward to Christ's coming? If you trust him and you know he saved you, then you can look forward to it. Should. Jesus says in verse 34, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. It's a difficult verse to interpret. Could be that word generation means the Jewish race or this kind of people, like in chapter 12, verse 39. But the phrase more naturally refers to the people Jesus was actually speaking to. And in that case, all these things likely refers to the birth pains and the destruction of Jerusalem and not that coming of Jesus and the consummation itself. And so all the elements of the prophecy occurred in some form in that foretaste. And Jesus likely refers to those, but not verse 29 to 31. If you look at the account in Luke chapter 21, verse 31, it reads that way, that it's about those events leading up to the destruction of the temple. But again, even if you disagree with me, let's remember what the main point is. Let's not lose focus on the main point of the passage, that Christ the King is coming. He's coming in power and glory for all to see. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Return of the King, Aragorn came to the city of Minas Tirith to return as the rightful king of Gondor. But bigger than that, better than that, more glorious than that, and for real, Jesus will one day come as the king of creation, king of the worlds, king of kings and lord of lords, the unbeatable king of kings. When will Jesus come? As we'll continue to see next week, as Neil explains, it'll be sudden, unexpected at a time we don't know. But we've been told already that suffering of various forms will be the norm until then. And there will be great distress just before he comes. But Jesus is coming. We need to be ready, not be deceived or tricked. We need to be ready by enduring in faith, 
The coming of Christ the King, it will be unmistakable, world-changing, life-changing. We must live remembering that He's coming. His coming will be glorious. Sandy's a woman I know. It's actually more than one person I know. Who was converted years ago and has trusted in the Lord for decades. She's experienced the loss of her spouse, children turning away from the Lord, people being angry at her when she speaks about the Lord and his good news and his will. And through failing health, worsening a worsening condition, through growing weakness and increasing pain and immobility, she continues to trust the Lord. More than that, she has a real hope of heaven. She has a longing that Jesus would come soon. She wants to live her life each day like the Lord could come today. And she devotes herself with the strength that she has to loving others. What a great example such people are for us. Enduring faith, hope, love, because Christ is coming soon. You better believe it is. He is coming. Would you pray with me? And I'll also be praying for the needs of others as well. Father God, we thank you for the reminder that you're in charge of history. Father, you know the end from the beginning. We thank you that you've sent your son so that all of us who rely on him can know assurance of salvation and freedom from this judgment and wrath to come. Thank you, Lord, that by your grace that you've saved us and drawn us into a relationship with you and we can look forward to your coming. Lord, we pray that you might help us by your spirit to endure the suffering and trials of this life now. May we never give up our faith, never give up following Christ, knowing that his coming will be glorious and it's worth holding on to him, indeed the one who holds on to us. Lord, we pray for that you might give grace to those who are enduring persecution for their faith at this time. So many places around the world, in Asia and Africa, Iran and Pakistan and other places. People who lose their lives, their freedom, their families, their homes, their jobs. Lord, we pray you might give them grace to persevere in trusting you to the end. Lord, we pray that you might grow our faith in you, our hope, the certainty of Christ's coming, our hope of heaven and our love for you and others. Pray, Lord, that we would look forward to the return of Christ, that we'd be praying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because that day is coming, it's sure, it will be glorious and powerful. So, Lord, we pray for your grace to endure in faith. We pray for those of our number, even unable to be here because of suffering, we pray you might help them to endure in their faith to trust you when it's hard. Well, we pray that too for one of our pastors, Chris Shaw. 
please give him and each one who endures trials of various kinds, give him and each one rest and recovery and peace, healing, strength to keep trusting you even when the wait is long and hard. Renew to each one the joy of your salvation. Grow their joy. Give them hope. We pray, Father, for Bruce and Kathy serving you with Wycliffe Bible translators in West Africa. Thank you for Kathy's recovery from typhoid recently. Please guide them and the team they work with who are striving hard to translate your word into the Acheve language, to translate the Jesus film too. Please open the hearts of Acheve speakers to the gospel, Father. Please encourage Bruce and Kathy in their ministry. Strengthen them. Give them wisdom. Grow their faith and godliness. Grow their love for you, Lord. Their love for each other and their marriage. Their love for the people they serve with and those they seek to reach with the gospel. God, we ask that in your mercy you would bring relief and stop the flooding rains in Victoria and New South Wales. So many people have uh, had their uh, possessions and uh, memories in photos and more and businesses washed away. So many people with great needs, enduring great suffering. We pray you'd meet them in their need, provide for those, uh, not only physically, uh, but Lord, we pray that you might use this to turn them back to you Please, Lord, use this tragedy to turn many Australians to Christ for life and hope and peace. Pray, Lord, too, that you would end the war in Ukraine. There would be justice and peace in that land. Lord, we pray, too, that you might help us in this next week to vote thoughtfully and wisely, prayerfully for the state election. Lord, we pray that you might graciously give us a just government that would allow us to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, allow the gospel to go forth and to be shared freely. Help us to not be anxious about the election, to trust you with the outcome. Lord, we pray too that you might move us to invite people to carols, to Christmas services here, not because we're guilted into it, because by your grace we know we have, the, we have, we know we've been saved by the best news in all the world. It's powerful to save others. You want it to save people from all nations. So move us to pray for this. We invite people and their kids to GSF in January so that children and their families would be saved by the gospel of the Lord Jesus too. Father, we pray all these things knowing that we can approach you only through him. Amen.